Good morning. Uh, my name is Zach. I'm the youth pastor here. I just want to say welcome to you if this is your first time. Uh, normally we don't preach, so come back next week. It'll be more of a normal service. I'm uh, excited to get to share this morning. As Miss Joanne says, she likes it when I preach because I typically don't talk very long. Uh, one of the things I always get anxious about is, one, the microphone, but two, how am I going to talk for 30 minutes? Like, I don't have enough to say for that long a time, but I'm excited to get to preach this morning. I'll also say this, the last two guys that have been up here preaching have had surgery, uh, Tony and Randy, so I'm trying to be on guard this morning and protect myself a little bit. Uh, but on a serious note, we want to make sure we're praying for them. Uh, Tony had hip replacements. So that's a big, big deal. So uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 16. For some reason, they always let me preach at the very end of the sermon series. I don't know if it's they're tired of preaching it or... They're just like, hey, we'll just throw Zach up there. He'll transition us or whatever. But I am excited to share this passage. And this morning, I want to ask you a question, a very simple question. What do you value in life? Uh, I've been asking myself this question for several weeks, several months. And uh, one of the things that I did recently was I asked God if he would give me a hobby. And I know that's kind of random, but my friend Corbin's here this morning. And Corbin and I, a couple months ago, we started playing disc golf. Now, I got into disc golf in high school. I played football and basketball, and in the spring, we never had anything to do. And so there's a buddy in my math class, and he was on the disc golf team. And I'd never even heard of disc golf. Like, what even is this? And so he tells me, hey, let's go play disc golf one day. And sure enough, I go play with him, and I love it. And I ended up joining the disc golf team. And we ended up winning the state championship in disc golf. And it's really random. Like, we didn't win football. We came runner-up. We didn't win. But disc golf, we won the state championship, we got a banner, and for some reason after that, I never really played again until a couple months ago. And now I've found myself in this position, my wife will tell you this, I'm going to this store in Lexington, I'm buying these disc golf things, I'm watching all these YouTube videos on disc golf, like how can you be a better disc golf player? I think Corbin and I have probably taken 20 kids to play disc golf in the last month, like we're, we're loving it, we're absolutely loving it. And a couple weeks ago, my wife and I were playing, and we were getting to this hole, it was in Lexington, and I said, hey, just make sure you don't throw it in this water that's on the left side, because you know, we're not going to be able to get our disc back if you do that. And the day before, I went to this store, and I bought some used Frisbees for like $6, and uh, she throws the Frisbee, and she throws it perfectly. But then I get up there, and again, I tell her not to throw it in the water, and I sling that thing right into the water. And so I see it floating around, and I know what my wife is thinking. She's thinking, well, he's not going to go in there and get that Frisbee out of the water. And I know what I'm thinking. How am I going to get in that water and get that Frisbee out? And so I find a spot to climb into the water, and I'm waiting on the Frisbee to kind of flow down this river. My pants are all rolled up. I look like a complete idiot. But I do it anyway. And there's this guy on my right, and he's asking me, what are you doing? Like, why are you standing in the water? Like, it's 8 a.m. It's cold. Like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm trying to get my Frisbee back. There's a lady on my left, she's walking her dog, just, just giving me a weird look like, why is this guy in the water trying to get a Frisbee? And it begs the question, I ended up losing the Frisbee later on anyway, but that's not the point. But it begs the question, what do you value in life? Because I can sit here and say that I don't value disc golf, but my actions would say otherwise. The way I've spent my time the last several months would say otherwise. But I think the opposite is also true, that we can say we value Jesus but does our time, our attention, does our money actually reflect that? And that's what we're going to talk about in 1 Corinthians 16 this morning, the sermon on giving, the one that I didn't want to do. Besides divorce and remarriage, this is the other one that I didn't want to do because no one wants to talk about giving. But we're going to talk about it this morning. I'm going to read the first four verses in 1 Corinthians 16, and then we'll kind of talk through Paul's expectations when it comes to giving. It says this, now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. 
On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up. So when I come, no collection will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go, also they will accompany me. What Paul does is he kind of asks a few questions, at least these are questions I'm asking, that he answers for us. The first question is this, how do I give? Well, he says it in verse 2, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, telling us this, that we're to give based on what God has given us. That if you've been given a lot, God expects a lot from you. If you've been given less, God expects less from you. But the, the thing is true in this, that we're called to sacrificially give based on what God has given us. I think about different stories in the Gospels. One story in particular stands out. There's this lady, and she doesn't really have a lot of money. And she goes to give an offering to the Lord. It says she gives a few coins, adding up to the value of a few pennies. And she gives this gift, and Jesus actually uses her as an example of generosity because she didn't have much, but what she had, she did give. There's other parables, like the parable of the talents, where Jesus gives, or this master gives these people these talents, and he expects them to do something with what he's given them. And that's what it is for us this morning, that God has given us stuff. He's given us money, possessions, different gifts, different talents, whatever, in order that we might do something with them based on what he's given us. But he also answers this question of where do we give? Where do we give? Found in verse 2 as well, on the first day of every week. Now, there's a couple different reasons why I think he tells us that we should give on the first day of every week. Uh, one of those reasons is because Paul knows that there's going to be things that pop up in your life. There's going to be financial things that come up. There's going to be bills that come up. There's going to be expenses that come up. In the first part of the week, what they did was they worshiped together, similar to us, starting in the New Testament. A couple things they did. They sang songs, hymns, spiritual songs. They sat under biblical teaching like we're doing right now. They had somebody read the scriptures. Uh, they did things like take communion, which we did this morning. They prayed like what we do at the end of our services when we come up to the altar and pray, but they also gave. And there was an expectation that when you showed up to be with God's people that you gave something that you gave an offering. But there's also this aspect of the first day of the week that God wants our very best. He doesn't want our leftovers. I think of it like this. I love going out to eat, uh, but even more than that, I love getting takeout because then I can you know, sit at home and watch it with my TV. But I love going out to eat, and one of the places I like to go is Mi Pablitos. There's a big debate, Mi Pablitos, El Tapatio. The place by Ace Hardware just gets left out, and that's not fair but I love it. I love going out to eat. Now, I want to give an example. Say my wife goes out to meet Pablitos, and she brings me something. She brings me a white bag, and in that bag is a tray of food, a plate of food, you know, like they do in those kind of aluminum containers. It's hot. The queso is still like liquid, which some of y'all know what I'm talking about, because it hardens if it's been sitting. Y'all know what I'm talking about. The chips and salsa are full, and it even comes with that little uh, to-go silverware, the napkin, the salt and pepper, because those chips need salt. And she brings it to me. I think, man, that was so thoughtful of her. But say, for example, my wife comes home one day, and she brings me a container of food, and it's cold, and it's half empty. The queso is dried up. There's no chips and salsa. There's no silverware. There's no salt. What did my wife do? She brought me her leftovers. It doesn't have the same effect. 
it's much more thoughtful of her when she brings me my own thing when she doesn't bring me just her leftovers. And that's kind of, I think, what Paul is telling us that we give at the first part of the week because God doesn't want our leftovers. He wants our very best. But he also answers this question in verse 3 of why do we give? Because what Paul is going to do with these funds, with this money, is he's going to send this money that's collected by the church at Corinth, and he's going to give it to the church in Jerusalem. And you can really see different aspects in the New Testament where the church in Jerusalem struggles. And what does Paul do? He collects an offering for them. He collects an offering on their behalf. Now, the thing that you'll see in the Gospels, and I was kind of excited to share this this morning, this is something I learned this week, is that every time Jesus talks about money, which is quite often, because in approximately 25% of his teachings, he talked about money. And so he teaches like 40-something parables, and 12 of them he talks about money or finances. And there's a couple different verses that I wanted to show you. One of them is in Matthew chapter 6. It says this, Jesus is talking to his disciples, but like any time that Jesus would talk to people, he'd draw a crowd. It says, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Jesus is telling us something very simple, that when you give, don't give it to be seen by the world. He also, in the same passage, goes on to talk about prayer, and he goes on to talk about fasting, and it's the same idea and the same theme. Don't give to be seen by the world. Later on, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus has an encounter with this guy. His name is the rich young ruler. Most people have heard of the rich young ruler. He was wealthy, had a lot of money, had a lot of stuff. And so he asked Jesus this question, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responds by saying, no one is good. But then Jesus goes on to list all these different commandments, and this is the guy's response. Uh, Actually, skip one, sorry. Come back to that one, Jeff. All these I have kept, the young man said, what do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give it to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he walked away sad because he had great wealth. It's a basic idea that Jesus wants everything from this man. He wants everything from this man. We can go back to the other one, Jeff. In Matthew chapter 6, kind of later on down, Jesus is still talking to his disciples. He says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermins destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's this basic principle of the things that you say you value in life, your actions should match up with it. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to spend my life storing up earthly treasures. I want to set my mind on Jesus, set my mind on heaven, and store up treasures in heaven. Now, there's a common theme throughout every teaching that Jesus gives when it comes to money, and here's the theme, specifically thinking about the rich young ruler. He never collects an offering. He never collects an offering. Now, if I'm Jesus, I'm going to do ministry. I'm going to all these different places, visiting dozens and dozens of synagogues. I need money to help me along the way, but he doesn't do that. Why? Because he is far more concerned about your heart than he is your money. Jesus is far more concerned this morning about your heart than the things that you have. Because who is the God of this universe that we could give him something? Who is the God of this universe that we could give him these earthly treasures? He's created all things. He's above all things. But he wants our heart. And I know what some of you are thinking this morning. Every time we talk about giving, it's never a good time to talk about giving. We're going through a recession, hard economic times. 
but I think about the Great Depression. Uh, one statistic from the Great Depression is that the average church member gave approximately 3.3% of their income. Uh, fast forward to 2019, three years ago, much better economic times for us. The average church member gave 1.2%. There's a big gap there. And why is that? I think a lot of that has to do with the excuses that sometimes we give for why we don't choose to faithfully give to Jesus. And that's kind of what I want to spend the second half of the sermon talking about this morning, is some of those reasons why we choose not to give. The first one is very simple. It's that we have priorities that aren't biblical. We have priorities that aren't biblical. I think there's significance in verse 2 when Jesus, or when Paul tells us that we should give at the start of the week, the beginning of the week, because it needs to be a priority in our life. Uh, think about growing up, my parents are here this morning, they uh, would always give us, when I was five years old or maybe before that, we'd go to children's church and they'd always give us a dollar. Um, sometimes it'd be a dollar bill, sometimes it'd be four quarters, whatever. But they'd always give us a dollar and we were supposed to turn that money into the children's church and the offering. And sometimes I did turn it in, sometimes I didn't, but that's not the point. So we'd turn this money into the offering sometimes. But I vividly remember that picture of going into church and getting that dollar from my parents. Now, fast forward 10 years later, uh, 10 years later, I started umpiring baseball. I started making money, which was exciting. I was getting ready to drive, you know, you're excited about that. And I can remember going into church and we had uh, pews and on the back of the pew were envelopes. And I can remember taking one of those pink envelopes and putting my $8 in there and just like, God, how are you going to use this? And, and I remember giving that so vividly. I'll never forget that moment because it was the first time I'd ever tithed, the first time I'd ever given to the church. Fast forward a couple years later, uh, it's Christmas time's coming up, and there's this place that's hiring these seasonal workers. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to do that, because I need to buy my girlfriend a Christmas present. We got married a couple years later. It's my wife now. But I buy her a Christmas present. I'm excited about it. But I also know that as I'm thinking about what I want to get her, I need to really make more money than that, because I owe God money. I owe God a tithe. I owe God a percentage of what he's given me. And I want to kind of think about this question, what do you value in life? Parents, I want to ask you that. What if you asked your kids, what do mom and dad value in life? What would they say? Would they say that you value, you know, us being at the ball field every weekend? Would they say you value having a great vacation or, or they say that you value having a nice car or a nice home? What do your kids say that you value? Because I think the thing that you say that you value should match up with your actions. And we need to get our priorities in line to be more in line with Jesus. Uh, the second thing that I was kind of thinking about this week is that sometimes we don't trust the church. I think part of the reason sometimes we choose not to give is because we don't trust the church. In this text, what Paul does is he tells us there's some men that are going to collect this offering and they're going to take it to Jerusalem. Paul might accompany them. He might not. But I think the point is that there's accountability. But I also know this, that every person in the room most likely has felt at some point betrayed or hurt or burned by the church a little bit. I've experienced that in my own life. Uh, several months ago, it was around Christmas time, and my wife needed a new car. And uh, my dad probably remembers this story. My dad and I go to Barstown. We're going to buy this car for my wife, and we're excited. It's a 2018 Honda CRV. It has like 20,000 miles. Like, it's going to be perfect for my wife. And so we get there, and we start test driving the car. And we make it maybe five or 10 minutes down the road, and we notice something weird happen. The horn just starts going off like out of nowhere. And we're like, what in the world is happening? And I look at my dad, he kind of looks at me and we think maybe the door's open or maybe our seatbelt isn't buckled or something weird's happening. 
we pull over, we turn off the car and it stops. And we keep driving it for a little bit. We drive it back to the dealership and we tell them, hey, we'll buy the car, but you got to get this checked out and you got to get it fixed. And they acted like they didn't know anything about it, which is fine. But a couple of days later, I give my wife the car. We have an appointment in a few days to go to the Honda dealership. I give my wife the car and we go to McDonald's. And it's a Saturday morning when McDonald's is super busy. And this is probably the worst possible time for this horn to go off. Because there's people outside, there's a drive-through that's packed, and I'm just praying, God, please don't let this horn go off. Sure enough, the horn goes off. And I'm sliding in my seat just hoping that nobody sees me because as this horn is going off, people probably think we're mad, whatever, and it just goes on. You turn the car off, it's still going. It's like a 20-second thing, but it seems like years, you know. And so the horn goes off, we take it to the dealership and come to find out it's a $12,000 problem uh, for this car. And so we take the car back to the dealership and we turn it back in. And my dad and I both left feeling like, man, we kind of got ripped off. We kind of feel like they knew about it. I think with the church, sometimes we can maybe feel that way a little bit. Like sometimes we can think that, man, I want my money to go to this or I want my money to go to that. But I just want to ask you this morning, if you knew that your money was going to advance the gospel in places in the Middle East where Jesus is not known, but your giving would make a difference so much so that people are coming to hear the gospel, they're accepting Jesus as their Savior, would you give to something like that? I think most people would say yes. If you knew that your money was going to support women who have recently become pregnant and they can't take care of their baby unless they get financial resources, would you give to something like that? Absolutely, I'd give to something like that. If you knew that your giving was going to transform the lives of kids and teenagers in our church, and they, these kids would grow up to know Jesus, they'd go into ministry, they'd do all these things for God, they'd lead their friends to Christ, would you give to something like that? Absolutely. I'd give to something like that. But I think everybody knows it's a trick question because our church is doing all those things. And I think sometimes what we can do is we can use this idea of we don't trust the church as just an excuse for why we choose not to give. The last reason why I think that sometimes we choose not to give is because we deal with this thing I call financial anxiety. Anxiety is not just a mental health problem, but it's also sometimes can be a control problem. Because every person in this room who deals with anxiety, you want control over your life. You get anxious about the things in life that you can't control, and for a lot of people, that's finances and that's money. And I don't know about you, but I've found myself in situations throughout my life where I don't know what's going to happen next. I say, God, what do I do here? God, how am I supposed to make this work for my family? God, what do you want from me? And it's really the wrong question to be asking because it's, it's this question of asking it almost as if I'm the one who's supposed to make things happen for my family. Jesus is. It's not my job to, to do everything for my family. It's, it's Jesus's. But oftentimes I want to take th things into my own hands and I want to have control over my life. It's financial anxiety. It's exactly what it is. And I've been recently convicted by this passage in Genesis 22. I want to show it to you. It's a story that you're probably familiar with. Uh, it's a guy named Abraham and his son Isaac. And the thing about Abraham is God has promised him that he's going to make him a great nation. His descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. But God also calls Abraham to do something very radical and very specific. He's supposed to take his son Isaac and he's supposed to build an altar and he's supposed to sacrifice his son Isaac on this altar. And so that's exactly what Abraham does. Now, a lot of people, when we read the story, we think of Isaac as being this young boy. 
when the reality of the situation is that Isaac was a man. At any point, Isaac could have said no, but what does he choose to do? He chooses to obey the will of his father, which is very similar to the gospel accounts where Jesus willingly goes to the cross. Why? Because he wants to obey the will of his father. And so we, we pick up and see what happens in Genesis 22, and it says this, Abraham looked up, and there in the thickets he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide, and to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. There's a name for God that is used in this story, the name Jehovah-Jireh, which simply means this, that God will provide. God will show up. And I don't know about you, but I find myself in a lot of situations in life where I need God to show up. And I'm constantly reminded of this passage that God shows up just at the right moment. And I don't know where you're at this morning spiritually. I don't know where you're at financially. But I know this, the same God in Genesis 22 is the same God in the Gospels who shows up. When you and I are supposed to go to the cross, he sends his son instead at just the right moment. And I've dealt with this idea of anxiety my entire life, of different aspects of my life, whether it's school, whether it's family. Uh, but recently on April 6th, I found out some exciting news. Uh, I went home one day from the church and I went upstairs. My wife was on a Zoom call. And about an hour later, she comes upstairs and she comes up to me with something behind her back. And she shows me something and she tells me she's pregnant. And I'm super excited in this moment. Like, God, you've blessed us with this. Like, like thank you, God. And I want to say there's some romantic that I said, but my response was, what in the world? <laughs> like I was so caught off. I was so caught off guard. I was so surprised. I was so shocked that God would do this for our family and so thankful and grateful. But I remember I had a meeting that night with a couple guys and I was driving. It was about a 10 minute drive. And as I get into the car, I'm sitting here and all these thoughts are just racing through my mind. Like, God, how am I going to make this happen for my family? God, how am I going to, to make enough money or to provide for my family? I don't know how much hospital bills are, God. I don't know how much it's going to cost to go to these appointments. And I don't even, God, I don't even know what this looks like. I've never even changed a diaper. Like, God, what am I going to do now? And it's that moment where anxiety sets in. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says in 1 Peter to cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. The Bible says, be anxious about nothing, but in every situation, by prayer and supplication, submit your request to God, because he will transcend your heart with peace, and it surpasses all understanding. And I find myself in this situation in life, and I'll kind of close with this, of where I think that I'm Jehovah Jireh. I think that I'm supposed to provide for my family. I think that I'm the one that's, that's going to make things happen for my family, and it's the wrong approach to life. Because you and I, we aren't in control of as many things as we think we are. So I just want to leave you with this kind of question this morning. What do you value in life? Because I think that the things that we value in life should be shown by our actions. And I don't know about you, but, but I don't want to be anxious about money. I want to be fixated on Jesus. I don't want to be anxious about the things that might happen in life. I want to be fixated on Jesus. Because he can handle it, and he's the God who provides. Let's pray. God, when I ask my kid this question someday of, of what do I value, I pray that he would say that I value you, Jesus. God, I pray over the people here this morning. God, it's easy for us to fall into this temptation, this trap, to think that we've got to make things happen for our family. 
God, it's easy for us to, to fall into this trap that we need more stuff, we need more earthly treasures, but God, rid us of that. God, take it all away so that we can experience you more deeply. God, I pray for every soul in this room, if there's anyone who doesn't have a relationship with you, they would know that at just the right moment, God, you showed up, you provide salvation for your people. God, I just lift you up this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.